Thank you, Brian. Um, earlier when I asked Brian if he would be willing to carry this thing up here, he said, absolutely. Um, I may have the spiritual gift of being able to lift heavy things. And, and I said, oh, that's good because um, I may have the, the spiritual gift of reaching things in high places. So maybe we should work together. <laughs> By now, um, all of you have probably heard the story of Samson or seen the story somewhere. Uh, what we have heard of Samson is that he was very strong, very strong. He even killed a lion with his bare hands. Not only did he kill the lion with his bare hands, he tore the lion into two pieces. He had supercharged power flowing through his long hair. And we know that his life came to a tragic ending due to an alluring woman by the name of Delilah. <laughs> Different Delilah. But in sum, we generally think of Samson as kind of this, well, it's like the Bible's mythological figure. You know, he has this superhuman strength, more like a superhero than an ordinary human being, right? More like a superhero, like Superman or the Incredible Hulk, or maybe like a cartoon, like Popeye. But it's hard to think of him as an ordinary human being like you and me. Well, today we are going to come face to face with a disturbing and maybe a surprising truth that Samson is an ordinary human, just like you and me. In fact, he is you. He is me. He is us. Not every day, but on some days, right? Not every day, but on some days. Samson's story is the, the Bible's incredible, powerful, and convicting story of an individual who was loved and consecrated by God, set apart by God, and endowed with incredible gifts. But he couldn't control or defeat his darker impulses. As I said, that's all of us. Not every day, but on some days. And that's why Samson's story 
is such an important story for us to look at. While Samson committed suicide at the end of his life, taking 3,000 Philistines with him, he's still one of the Bible's greatest teachers because his life forces us to look into one of the, if not the most important questions that you will ask yourself. What drives you? What drives you? Okay, before we go into this, a little history about Samson. Samson appears in the book of Judges about 1,100 years before the birth of Christ. If you want to look it up, it's between chapters 13 and 16 of Judges. This was a season in Israel's history that was very dark, very discouraging. You see, the Israelites had repeatedly turned away from God. And as a result, God allowed them to fall into captivity. And in this case, it's under the oppressive rule of the Philistines. But then, in 1154 B.C., an angel announced the birth of a very special person. A child who would be born to a woman who was barren. This is an important detail. Because if you look all the way through scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, only four people have their births announced by an angel. And it always means that God is going to do something miraculous through that person. Do you remember the four? Can you remember them? Who were they? Jesus. Jesus is always a great answer. Anytime, anytime you're doing Bible trivia, go for Jesus. Who are the others? John the Baptist, yes. One more. Isaac. Good job. Clearly, God had amazing things planned for Samson. Amazing things. He was called to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. God equipped him, empowered him, set him apart for this task. He gave him incredible physical strength. He gave him favor, and he gave him God-fearing parents with specific instruction on how to raise him. Samson was to become a Nazarite. A Nazarite, well, what's that? He was to be set apart for God's purposes, to live a holy and consecrated and disciplined lifestyle that included abstaining from alcohol, never touching a dead body, and never cutting his hair. Those were all symbols of his being set apart and symbols of his identity. Okay? Now, to make a long story short... Samson was, in the words of most teens, an epic fail when it came to his Nazarite lifestyle. Whenever he was old enough to leave the house, to party, to wreak havoc, that is exactly what he did. At every turn, he always chose 
what was best for him. He was always driven by his internal sinful desires. He always indulged himself. And that leads us back to the question, what drives you? What drives you? There are many sins to choose from. Many sins. There are Samson's, which we know of. But there is also greed, envy, expedience. And sure, we might say along the way that our motives are right. That the decisions we're making, the things that we're doing, the motivations, our intentions are right. Right? We may justify the things that we're doing. But I would be willing to bet that Samson, along his path, justified many of the decisions that he made, right? I can almost picture Samson right now saying, hey, everybody needs to have a little fun from time to time, right? Have you ever said that? I know I have. If we really want to understand what's driving us, we need to dig a little deeper and ask, are the things I'm doing driven by my, my desire to obey and glorify God, or are they driven by some aspect of my sin nature? Which is it? The answer to that question will make or break your legacy. It will make or break your legacy, what drives you? What drives you? It is so easy to ignore that question, isn't it? Whenever it comes up in our minds, we want to repress it, push it out of the way so we don't have to think about it until it catches up to us like it did for Samson. And it will catch up to you. I have a good friend that came to New York City, who in many ways is like a modern-day Samson. He came for a great job on Wall Street, and he got it. He was smart, charismatic, good-looking, athletic, a modern-day Samson. He was born endowed with incredible gifts and talent. But like Samson, like all of us, he was also born with a sin nature. And that's what drove him. It manifested itself in how he lived his life. By day, he would work hard. But by night, he threw himself into the party scene around New York. It was all about excitement and pleasure. Before long, he was on the VIP list at every club in the city. Sex and drugs and every other form of debauchery is what motivated him in that season. And this lifestyle, well, you know, as often is the case, it left him feeling empty and discouraged, questioning whether or not he had any real friends, and wondering if there might be more to life than this. It was in that season that my friend had a series of three prophetic dreams. Three dreams. 
In the first dream, he was standing in a cemetery. As he looked around, he saw tombstones all around him. One of the things that he noticed as he was standing there was that there was dead silence. It was like every living creature, anything that was alive was now dead. And as he was looking around the landscape, this spirit, a dark, demonic spirit started moving toward him. And as it got closer and closer, he experienced fear like he had never experienced before. As it came right up close to him, claws and everything, he woke up. And because he was so terrified by this dream, he refused to go back to sleep for three full days. It was that real. He knew nothing of what it meant. He had no context for what it meant. But he knew it was real. A couple months later, he had a second dream. This time, he was walking down a path. And on the path, he could see ahead of him a beautiful lake, a majestic forest. And to his right, there was a wrought iron fence that stretched as far as he could see. And when he looked through that fence... He could see the same darkness that he experienced in his first dream. And as he continued to look through the fence, he could see there was a path leading to these giant stone-hewn gates. And he knew in that moment, even though he had no context for knowing, that he was looking at the gates of hell. And again, this sense of terror came over him, and then he woke up. Bewildered by what was happening, he continued in the same lifestyle that he did before, continuing to search, but then he had a third dream. In the third dream, he was standing on a small, narrow path in an open field, Ahead of him were these beautiful mountains. And to the right, he saw an, a town, an ordinary town with streetlights. Nothing spectacular, nothing special about this town. But as he was looking at the town, a man appeared out of nowhere and said to him, Follow me, because you are so weary and you need rest. And he took him by the hand and he led him down this narrow path to a wall that was covered with vines. And he didn't even realize it at first, but behind the vines was a small door. And when the man opened the door and they both walked through, it was evident that they had entered another world. The town that they had just left was gone. There was an entirely new landscape, a crystal clear lake that was perfectly still, and a majestic forest. But the thing that he remembered most about this new landscape was the grass. It was the most vibrant green 
that he had ever seen. So full of life. And then the man said to him, get yourself cleaned up, get changed, and I'll come back for you. And as soon as those words came out of that man's mouth, all of the brokenness and the shame and the discouragement and the despair fell off of my friend all at once. Suddenly, he knew that there was a God. Not just a God, but a God that cared about him personally and a God that was ultimately in control. Then he woke up. Again, having no context for what to do with these dreams, he began a search for the meaning of these dreams. But... Because of the lifestyle that he had become accustomed to, he quickly fell back into the same patterns. Feeling conflicted all along. But then, one day, someone invited him to a Bible study. And he agreed. He came to the Bible study. When he arrived, he sat down. And as he was sitting there, he thought, maybe this would be an opportunity for someone to help me decipher my dreams. So he shared the dreams with the group. And the pastor that was leading the Bible study said, I want you to open your Bible to Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. And I want you to read to us. My friend had never had a Bible. He had no idea what that passage was going to be about, but he opened it up. And as he read, it said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. My friend said that in that moment, this 2,500-year-old book somehow had summarized the dreams that he had had. It also revealed the identity of that man that had led him down that narrow path to that small door. It was Jesus. His dreams had been a clarion call to choose between life and death. And he also realized in that moment that the choice was his and his alone. Today, my friend is living a happy life with his family in Tennessee. His children all know the Lord. They're serving the Lord. They're following the calling that God has placed on their lives. Sometimes that old call to the old life crops up in my friend's life. And he thinks about it. But what he realizes is that God has given him the resources and the power to choose life. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. 
And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. You see, this is a promise from God. Samson could have chosen life, but he chose death. He could have been driven by a desire to glorify God and fulfill his calling, but he allowed his sinful nature to drive him. What drives you? What drives you? There's a family in our church who has a daughter that is now grown. But back in the day when she was a teenager, she went through a period of incredible rebellion. It was so severe. Drugs, cutting, alcohol, shoplifting, you name it. It was all part of her life. And her parents tried to help her, but nothing seemed to work. Not counseling, not pleading, not constant supervision. Nothing was working until finally the mother, finally in desperation, said, I can't take this anymore. You're going to have to leave. You're going to have to leave. And her daughter cried out, no! No, no, no! She told her mom, it's as if there are two forces inside of me. One wants to be good and wants me to be good. And the other force wants me to be bad. But I want to be good. I want to be good. And it was in that moment, facing the loss of her family, that she realized it was her choice. It was her choice. She could choose to embrace the driver's that bring glory to God and allow her to be good, or she could allow herself to be driven by her sinful nature. But she had to decide. She had to choose between life and death, and she chose life. She chose life. That Easter, she was baptized with her mother. And she rebuilt a life of faith, obedience, and joy and now she's working for a nonprofit organization that takes care of people who are in need. She's fulfilling her calling. Samson had that choice. He had that choice. And we have that choice. Samson is kind of an anti example, a person that God set apart, equipped, and empowered. And Samson said, no, thank you. You've given me everything, but I would prefer to do things my way. I like my drivers. I like them better than yours. Fortunately, the Bible gives us Jesus, who not only empowers us and equips us to stand in the midst of that choice, but he shows us what it looks like when we choose to live a life that is driven by God's values. The freedom that comes with that. When God's values drive us, we love sacrificially. It just flows. We walk humbly. We live kindly. We display what is written in Galatians 5.22, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are God's drivers. Those are the things that God want, uh, wants us to embrace and, and build our life upon. I have a friend who, who, who wrote down all the fruit of the Spirit on an index card, and she keeps it in her wallet. And whenever she is faced with a major decision, and she senses that old life, that sinful call to the old drivers cropping itself up, she takes that card out and she reads it. Because she wants to make a decision that is based on God's drivers. She wants to make a decision that will glorify God as opposed to settling for being driven by our sinful nature. And she knows it's a choice. You know, a thoughtful consideration of the fruit of the Spirit will make you look right into that question that I keep asking you today. What drives you? What drives you? Each of us have the opportunity to live a Jesus life or a Samson life. And the choice is ours. Nobody will make that decision for you. We can squander our consecration by God or we can fulfill it. It's your choice. Samson figured that he could live for himself indefinitely with no consequences. That's what he figured. But he was wrong. He was wrong. Look, we are all driven by our sin nature at times. We live in a fallen world, and God knows that. And so he's provided resources and opportunity for us to overcome that kind of brokenness. We put ourselves before others. We've been mean. We've been petty. We've been gossipy. We've been envious. The list goes on, right? We're all guilty. But many of us know how amazing it feels when we choose to live by God's design and we overcome that brokenness. The freedom that comes with overcoming our sinful impulses and by the grace of God, we don't have to do that fight alone. We don't have to do that fight alone. We have prayer. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have each other to lean on. And we have Jesus, who not only paid the ultimate price so we could be free from the brokenness of sin and death, but he is constantly interceding on our behalf, even when we don't know what to pray. But even with all these resources, even with all of them, we still have a part to play. We still have to decide. We have to answer that question, what drives you? What drives you? Now, at the end of Samson's life, it kind of plays out like a horror movie. It's a terrible ending. 
He falls in love with a Philistine woman by the name of Delilah. We know that part. She tricked him into telling her the secret of his strength, which was in his hair. She betrays him and turns him over to the Philistine lords. Remember our scripture reading today? She woke him up. Samson, Samson, the Philistines, they're upon you. And Samson jumped up, assuming that he could shake them off just as before. But what he didn't realize was that the Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. We don't know when the Lord is going to leave us if we're driven by our sinful nature. He was chained. He was blinded. He was mocked. And he was beaten. He had the strength of any normal man at that point, And there was nothing he could do about it. His end had many of the same well, similarities that Jesus had. He cried out to God, and Jesus, or the Lord, heard him. And God gave Samson one last burst of strength. The Philistine lords had brought him into this huge coliseum that was supported by two pillars in the center. 3,000 of the lords of the Philistines all celebrating that their God had handed over Samson, their enemy. And as Samson called out to God, God gave him one last burst of strength, and he pushed on those pillars with all his might, and they cracked and fell apart, and the entire structure came down on him, killing him and 3,000 Philistines all at once. It was a tragic ending. It was an ending that leaves us asking the question, what could have been? What could have been for a man like Samson if he would have at any point along the way put down his sinful drives and started living based on what would drive him to glorify God. But he chose death over life. Like Samson, we're all created to bring glory to God. We have been consecrated, set apart, endowed with specific gifts. You have gifts that nobody else has. You have a purpose that God has set in his mind for you that's different from anyone else. Jesus gave us the ability to stand and choose to be driven by things that glorify God. But it always comes back down to the same question. What drives you? What drives you? Will you choose a Samson life or a Jesus life? There are two gates. Two. One leads to life and the other leads to death. And no one gets to choose 
which one you enter, except for you. The choice is yours alone. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this example. It is a hard lesson. Lord, we look at the life of Samson, and we can't help but think of all the moments that we have squandered, choosing to be driven by our sinful nature instead of the drivers that would lead to life. Lord, I pray that this example today would help us to recognize that we are not at the mercy of our impulses because we have been given freedom from the chains of sin and death through what Christ has done for us. And we have the resources available to us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is residing within us, and we can take our stand and choose to live for Christ. And if we do, we will leave a legacy for good. Jesus, I pray that you would enable us to see that that choice is ours to make today. And if we haven't made it, Help us to do so right now. In the name of Jesus, amen.